Hey friends, welcome back to This Good Word. <laughs> My name is Steve Weens. I'm the host, as always, and I have been not recording anything for I don't even know how long it's been. I didn't even check before I got the mic out today. I know it's been a couple of months at least, uh, but I have been in a really interesting season of doing some some soul work that uh, is, I think, been really, really good for me. And it's required me to put down a lot of the public stuff and focus just on my family, my job, myself, my own journey. And I want to share about, I think it's going to be two or three weeks uh, that I'll share, two part, two or three part series that I'll share about what I've been up to in, the, in these last two or three months, the journey that I've been invited on, I think, by the divine, what I'm learning and what I still have yet to learn. Uh, that's not going to be today, uh, but it, that is going to be in the weeks that follow. So I hope that me sharing my journey of my own inner work, how I learn to receive an invitation from the divine, what help I need to get in order to navigate that journey, and what I need to do and what I need to not do in order to follow that invitation all the way down. So I want to share that with you in a few weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. I think I'm finally ready to do that. But that's not today. Today I have Scott Erickson, this wonderful author, artist, painter, um, I don't know, philosopher, uh, Scott and I chatted and we recorded it and I wanted to make it available to you because if you follow the seasons of the church calendar, we are in the season of Advent, which follows themes of how light and darkness are interconnected. And Advent invites us to get in touch with our deepest longings and to hope for things that are not yet here to arrive. Advent means arrival. And Scott wrote a book recently, he just put it out called Honest Advent. And it's just really, really brilliantly written. There's 25 short meditations and 25 pieces of art that Scott has created to go along with each meditation. And I'm finding it so helpful and hopeful as I get in touch with my deep longings during this season of Advent. Uh, you can check out that book and all of Scott's work at scotterickson.art.com. Com. I hope you will do that after you listen to this conversation and check out his work. He's written a couple of different books on prayer with Justin McRoberts, and this book, Honest Advent, is his first one that he's done solo. So that's enough intro. Uh, enjoy this conversation with Scott Erickson. I'm here with Scott Erickson. Scott, so great to have you join us. Thanks Thank so you. much for coming. Mm -hmm. um, so first question, kind of the typical Krista Tippett on being question, but what's your spiritual background? Well, I grew up in an evangelical Lutheran setting. So uh, yeah, very, you know, uh, it, it's called Lutheran Brethren. Uh, it's very missions oriented, uh, Bible based. It was actually created to minister to Norwegian immigrants in this country. Um, so, and I grew up in a church in Seattle. So a lot of like fishermen, like deadliest catch, that kind of stuff. So a lot of stoic, 
Norwegians, delightful people. And um, yeah, I, I'm really happy with the faith community I grew up in. I think like everybody, I had some things I had to uh, work through, move on from, but uh, felt really loved. Like actually I've been talking about like youth groups with my friends and I was like, I loved my youth group. It was, oh, wow. it was great. I had such a great time in it. Um, but yeah, my, uh, a lot of my dad's side of the family is pastors and missionaries. Um, I've, so I've been, I've done, I've been a youth pastor, a college minister, a missionary on pastoral staff. So I've done a lot of different kinds of ministry jobs, but it's always kind of been there. Uh, and I've always been in those communities, but, uh, so that has been pretty consistent throughout my life. I'm much more of an ecumenical mutt now, I would say, but, uh, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's fascinating. That sort of comes through a little bit in the book too. Well, implicitly more than explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> when did uh, you, the, the, the art both in this book and in some of the other prayer books that you've done with Justin is so gorgeous. Like, when did you know that you were an artist? Was that as a kid or later? Um, I, uh, all, <sighs> I recognized it in elementary school, junior high. I had a great junior high art teacher who really encouraged me, uh, a good high school art teacher. Um, so I, I saw that I was good at it, you know, not necessarily better than everybody in my class, but was it, was, uh, I don't, you know, for now as studied as an art teacher and I've been a, a, a high school art teacher, like, I think you get, I don't know if there's like innate talents as much as when you're interested in something, you spend a lot of time with it. And so that yeah. just helps develop it. Um, so I was interested in it. So I just spent a lot of time drawing and, and training myself to learn how to draw better. Um, but it was late high school. It's my senior year, actually, that I had this, I had this moment. I had this crush on this girl named Marla and yes. she liked this guy named Mike, who was like super sporto guy really marla. nice marla and mike yeah really nice uh the, in fact they got married and so great i'm glad it worked out uh and mike was the nicest guy but uh i remember making my home uh, the homecoming poster for my class because i was at a small school and i was in the art room making it and then they came in doing their cute couple thing and then they left and i remember having this conversation by myself, which was just like, why can't I be more like Mike? Cause I want to be the guy that the, the girl I like likes. And uh, I just remember this kind of question that came up, which was like, well, what if you could, but you couldn't be the way you are now You had to trade it. What would you choose? Mm. And I didn't, it didn't even take any thinking. I just instantly was like, well, I'd never give up like this creative ability. And it, that was the first moment where, uh, I remember thinking like, oh, this is in here already. Like, this is something that's already in me. I'm curious to see where it goes. That was kind of my first invitation probably, like I could see an invitation to a a lifetime of being a creator. It was about 10 years later after college, Bible school, traveling, odd jobs. I found myself as a high school art teacher and I was 27 and I remember and over those next 10 years, I, you know, I went to school, studied art, studied education, uh, went and lived in Europe again, went to Bible school. And I, I realized I needed to have a practice, even though I didn't have classes anymore. I was like, I should, so I was painting in the attic of a church that gave me a studio space. And, 
And then that, I had this moment, distinct moment in my prep period class writing on the whiteboard and I stopped and I was like, there's something else I'm being invited to. I'm not sure what it is, but I can sense something new is coming. And that led to this long conversation. I visited friends in New York, met a bunch of artists. And on the plane ride home, I was like, if I don't ever try to be an artist, whatever that means, I'll always regret it. And I left teaching continued waiting tables, <laughs> but, and yes. then started an art career about, you know, it was like 15 years ago. So, and I've mostly been poor that entire time. <laughs> so there, there you go. Um, well, I mean, so when you compare, if you can compare your creative process, when you're working on a piece, uh, a painting versus writing, how is it different? How is it similar? Um, what, what, you know, some of those creative juices that get, um, uh, that get stirring where, you know, you have to do something. Is it different for writing or is it similar? That's a great question. I would say that image making is a different language. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's an easier language in a way because you're allowed to not have real like certain definitions like with words there's so many pieces like every word is a piece so when like i'm right now preparing my talk for sunday and i approach the the work similarly like i i always i my main question when i'm doing any kind of work or teaching is what is the um transformation i'm inviting the audience or listener into um, and then I reverse engineer from there. Yeah. Like I'm going, why, why are we even doing this? What's the transformation? And then go, how do we get there? And so I do that with images where I go, you know, what is say, what is this? How do I describe, or how do I visualize the, um, for example, like what forgiveness looks like? How would you describe forgiveness? And if people grow up in the church, you're like, well, a cross. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how yeah. would you describe hope? A cross. You know, it's like everything can't, <laughs> everything can't yeah. be a cross. Right. So if you can't, then I actually have a rule where I, I don't use crosses. I, mm. I just, that's a rule I've given myself. Every now and then I might, but I don't, I don't, I don't do Jesus. I don't paint, I don't make pictures of Jesus and I don't do crosses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yet I am labeled a Christian artist. I love uh, that. Which, Great. Yeah. Because then you have to go, well, what's the other symbology? What does this mean? And then finding uh, the visual juxtaposition, the visual symbol that helps us get there. Whereas words, <clears throat> words are a lot harder. Uh, I, I find writing much more difficult because um, I think it's the slow process of untying somebody. Like I, I often see is like uh, an argument is like somebody's all knotted up and yeah you have to kind of come at it from all these angles until it's loosened and then you can untie it. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work of like telling a story and creating empathy and making a point and showing another side. And, and so they're just really different languages that have their own particulars. Um, and when it's done really well, like a speech, a book, a, something written can change your life. And when images are done really well, like it can say a million words in one image and that's like the best part of it. So yeah, they're different functions. I think where I have the unique, unique capability and marketability is that I've been practicing both and now uh, like Honest Advent's kind of my first 
hey, here's where I'd like to go. I mean, yeah. I've been, it's, it's, I would say that like I started practicing writing on social media, like kind of micro essays, uh, and then partnering that with my images and then uh, like writing a book. So that made me a writer, right? Making a book made me an author, like, because yeah. that's a whole different process of, uh, of compiling an idea and putting it all in a package and that whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I love your art. I love your writing too. And, and, you know, like in, in an earlier chapter, you find a way to weave a Meister Eckhart thought and quote in which <laughs> yeah. I am such an Eckhart nerd. Uh, and I love, you know, the more paradox, more the better, but you do it in such an artful way that, you know, you sort of lead people down to this existential uh, yeah. down the end of an existential uh, plank and then you pull back and okay hold on here's what we're talking about and I think that's some of what I'm seeing in this book that I'm loving so much is that it it goes all the way there like to the the extent of where an idea could go uh, but then but then you pull people back so that uh, people aren't lost and I, I thought that was artful um, oh, thanks. Yeah, that's a good one. And I, I, I almost like break the fourth wall where I'm like, I could tell you this quote, let me tell it to you. Yeah, then I might lose you. But let's come back, you know, because yeah. I'm like, no, I loved it. I loved it. Spend time with that yeah. quote. It'll make you think about it all day long. But why don't you come back with me? And let's go down. The yeah, that was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, you know, because it's like, yeah, it's just um, wink, nod. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. going there. But but, but come on back. So what I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you talk about like reverse engineering from this question of what's the transformational invitation, what was it for honest advent? I mean, can, can you name it in, in uh, like, do you, do you remember sort of what it was? Mm -hmm. uh, the genesis of all of this uh, happened four years ago where we found ourselves in a similar but different situation, which was, right after a national presidential election that was exhaustive and divisive. Uh, we were seeing the Syrian civil war, so massive amounts of destruction and displacement. We had the Zika virus, school shootings or mass shootings, um, Flint water crisis, just a lot of really hard things. And then I found myself in mid-November walking into a store, I think a Target, and you know everything was decorated like Christmas, which happens every year. The, the brand of Christmas descends on Western society. And I just at that, I, and I'm, a, I gotta say, I'm a big fan of Christmas. Yeah. I, I'm one of the nerds who has the 24 hour Christmas music station saved on in my car. Like when you turn on my car, that's what's playing. I like it all. Uh, lights on the house, Christmas tree, snowflakes on all the windows. We do it. But this particular year, I was like, this all feels really irreverent. Uh, not irreverent irrelevant yes. <laughs> it doesn't yes. feel irreverent maybe a little bit i was just like this doesn't make any sense to the chaotic world i find myself in and and it led me to this deep prayer question which was like does christmas really have any hope for us like because yeah. um, i'm it's it's not even the santa story like i'm fine with the santa story i mean I think it's a little over, it's really overdone. I mean, like how many movies do we need about it? And like, what kind of technology do they have in the North Pole? Like it's, <laughs> um, but 
it's even the imagery in my own Christian tradition, all the artwork felt very safe and sanitized. It felt like it wasn't really about people anymore. It just was this like mythical story about some other kind of humans that we don't relate to at all. One of, one of my muses as a teacher uh, of the Bible, uh, I mean, I'm a vocational artist, but I, I, you know, I'm in scripture most days and working through it. The reason I think, here's, here's one of my muses as a teacher is like, the only reason we're talking about these stories is because they're still happening today. Yes. Like yeah. if they weren't happening now, if they were just back then and they weren't happening now, we'd stop telling them. But why they are still in our zeitgeist, why they are still meaningful and alive, as we say, the living Bible is because it's still going on today. Yeah. It's so... Uh, when I talk, so I, so my question was like, well, is Christmas a memorial service or is it a birthday party? Did it happen mm -hmm. one time or is it still going on? And I, it, and I know if you go to a church and you ask all the kids whose birthday is it, they'll say it's <laughs> Jesus. And so we're inferring that it's a birthday party, meaning it's still going on. And my real prayer was just like, well, where are you, Jesus? Or where are you coming in our midst? How can we find you? And where I was led uh, is that I'm, I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one and I've witnessed three pregnancies and births close up. And, it, you know, and birth is magical and wonderful and sacred and beautiful, but it's pregnancy is painful and risky and it's got a lot of fluids involved in it. And I just was like, you know, every single person ever has come through, you know, has come into the world through vulnerability. Yeah. Like human vulnerability and the way that this invisible holy mystery that we give a three letter word God to uh, came through that exact same way through vulnerability in weakness, in needing us like this invisible God starts his visible conversation by saying, I'm going to need you to take care of me for a really long time. Yeah. I'm going to have to rely on your care and grace and kindness and companionship to be alive. And, uh, and that just led me to go, well, what kind of God would do that? And, and that started my meditation. So I, I framed everything. So there's a couple things happening. One is I was like, how do I view the story through human vulnerability? Yeah. Because that's, uh, cause that's, cause that's where we'll find Jesus coming in our midst now is through that same place, our vulnerabilities. And then two, uh, as an artist and a designer, I knew that I had to not counter the Christmas brand because it's uncounterable. <laughs> it's, it's a juggernaut of a brand. There's no way to disassemble the years and centuries of tradition, songs, choruses, looks, feels, all the kinds of things. But I wanted to completely just sidestep that whole conversation. I just want because uh, there, I learned this Russian word. It's ostronomy. It's like saying astronomy, but if you hate M's. And astron <laughs> astronomy is, it was created by these Russian uh, authors, writers. It is the art of making that which is familiar, unfamiliar. Yes. And so that like, and that's what you see in good literature and theater yep. is like seeing something that you're like, I know what this is, but I, I actually don't, I never saw it this way or I don't know what's happening right now. And that's, so I was like, I need an astronomy Christmas. I need to completely sidestep everything that is like, well, this is what Christmas looks like and go, no. That's why like the book, Honest Advent, 
looks nothing like anything Christmas. Yeah. It's really intentional. I don't want I don't want you to see it and go, oh, that's obviously in the wrong section. That should be in the Christmas section. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And none of the images. I mean, there's like some stars and things like that, but nothing really looks like Christmas because it was like I need to I need to unknow the story so I can so I can experience the wonder of it and the hope of it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and you write about that in one of the early chapters about familiarity as sort of the enemy of wonder. And, yeah. and that's not exactly, it's not an exact quote, but um, when you were talking about the Bible and the ongoing narrative, you know, mm -hmm. of Christmas is ongoing. One of my friends says this beautiful phrase, uh, the Bible happened, is happening and yeah. will happen, yes. you know? And, and it, it gets us out of the, is it literal or not? Or is it, you know, just all the boring questions to this idea that, that we can find our story in, in its stories over and over again, because they're actually, they actually are ongoing. And even God, I will be what I will be. Um, even yeah. that is ongoing. You know, that idea of, I loved how you said it, the three three letter uh, name that we <laughs> use for the divine mystery, you know. I love that. Um, I've been writing this prayer liturgy and it's a little tongue twister. It's hard for me to say at least, but it's like when I, it's like starting off addressing God and it's like the unfathomable who we fathomably call God. Yes. <laughs> like, it is this unknowable thing that we try to go, well, let's know it in three letters, you know? And it, yeah, so it's a constant, what do you think you're trying to say? Anyways, yeah. I'm just trying to enter into that mystery. Like, yeah. uh, cause, cause it, it all gets boring when we think we figured it out, you know, that's. Yeah. And the trick I think, and this is what your book is so helpful in doing in a very, I don't like the word accessible cause it sounds like simplistic or something, sure. but in a very understandable way that you get drawn in it, um, it arrests the familiarity of the season in a way that, because we have to become conscious, conscious of that, which we are ultimately too familiar. You know, it's like a, yeah. it's like a mind bender. You have to, you have to know, oh my gosh, I I'm missing this because I've been through it too many times, you know, which yeah. is the, 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 the problem with many of us with the Bible, you know, it's like, well, it's, how in the world can I, yeah. you know, and especially, especially like Advent being a person who's been involved with, uh, professional spirituality for a yes. long time. I understand the conundrum of every church leader to be like, how are we going to make Advent different this year? You know, like there is this, if people aren't aware of this, this is what church leaders talk yes, about. They're like, yes. how do you take this same thing? Which mm -hmm. if, and if you compile all the passages about Christmas or incarnation, uh, it's not much. Yeah. It's maybe a couple chapters, you know, there's like these little bits from Isaiah and Revelation and uh, little parts, but it's only really a couple chapters and that's it. That's all we have of it. And so yeah. it's, it's little content and yet it's so poignant. I, I am preaching this Sunday at our friend, Mark Charbonneau's church here in yeah. Austin, uh, the vine. And I'm using the passage of when, uh, Mary goes and sees Elizabeth and yes. I was spending time with it yesterday. And I was like, why? Cause it's just like, she gets the announcement and then she says she hurries yeah, and goes haste. to there. And it's like, yeah, because when you've been after the visit, after the angel disappears, she's like, do I know anybody else who's been visited by an angel? 
my relatives. And you go yeah. over there because except like exceptional moments are very lonely. Yes. When you've partaken in something that was life-changing and transformational, but very unique, uh, it can be really lonely. And you immediately want to find other people to go, am I crazy? Can I work? Who can right. I work this out with? Right. Who can I talk to about this? This is why, like, I, I remember this distinctly when I, I lived after, right after high school, I lived overseas for a year. And I remember coming back to all my friends and they were like, how was it? <laughs> it was like, like, how do I even start? I how lived I in start? France for a year. I wouldn't, yeah. and I have crazy hair and different clothes. And I was like, it changed my life. Like, cool. Oh, right, you want to go get burgers? You know, yeah, and it. Yeah. And uh, I learned really quickly to that I those uh, really personal, uh, sacred stories uh, couldn't really be shared, even to my friends. Like you, like it was only until I found other people who had participated in the same kind of transformation that you found kind of a community about that, and that, and it actually made me think about like maybe some of the loneliness we're all feeling now. Um, cause we're all, it's weird. Cause we're kind of forced isolation, but we're all going through this really exceptional time Yeah, and, and, and yet we're all doing it. So yeah. we could, so we're having, we're, what we're missing out on is this chance to really talk about like, isn't it so weird that we're going through it, but we can do that. I mean, I call friends every week to just talk about how weird this all is, you yeah. know, yeah. cause it helps to share in exceptionality and in, in like, you know, life-changing transformational ways without it. You just feel the loneliness of that uniqueness. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that story, you know, we're not talking about divine <laughs> insemination here, <laughs> you know, like it's very different, but we can all say like at times in our life, we've been a part of something that made us try to find somebody else who had had the same experience. But I love that because I'm actually working on my sermon this week too. I'm doing the Magnificat. So I'm looking mm -hmm. at that happens right after it happens mm -hmm. while Mary is with Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, when she sings the song, composes the song. And, um, you know, in my notes there, I'm, I'm writing down like right after the, the annunciation, I'm like, let's pause here. And it's okay. If you have a hard time believing that, <laughs> you know, yeah. like let's yeah. not rush past divine insemination. Let's not rush past <laughs> yeah. Virgin birth. Like it's okay. Like, but don't get lost. And I love your, like, have you ever had an experience? And this is your thought where it was so transcendent and, and singular that you had a really hard time finding anybody that knew what you were talking about. Well, that's mm -hmm. what Mary is. So don't get lost in, don't get law. I mean, if you need to suspend belief, that's fine, but keep going in the story because there's going to be a very universal something that is happening here. And I think that's the key of like, yeah, it's still happening. That's how it can still happen because yeah. these stories are so human and yeah. so universal, even these extraordinary ones, if we have. So thank you for that lens. Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah, okay. that's, that's two communicators talking their process. Nerds. <laughs> Nerds. Nerds. But I, but I, that is the work. I mean, I went on a long part of my processes using my body. So I went on a long walk. I just usually have notes and then I go on a long walk and kind of walk it out, talk it out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I was on this, I was on this other radio show. Sorry, I, I've cheated on you, but like this guy was <gasps> talking about, you know, he was, he was wondering if people were worried or frustrated about how I was reimagining the stories. And I was like, 
my book is less about, it's not any, it's really not anything about like, how did Christmas really happen 2000 years ago? It's, <laughs> it's not even, it's not about that at all. It's, it's, it's actually a book about like, how is Christ incarnating in our lives right now? That's, that's what the book is about. Yeah. It's beautiful. And that, that really comes through. I mean, of course I'm not all the way through yet, but I think that's, in my opinion, in the way that's the way the Bible was written to 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 do that. Like it was written with these inconsistencies and weirdnesses, so that people would imagine. You know, that's midrash, the Jewish form yeah. of. Uh, let's imagine if we can't quite dive into this story. Let's let's imagine it in such a way where we really can enter into it. You know, and I I, I think not only is that not heretical. That's actually the way that we're supposed to do it. So, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe that's even saying it too strongly. Supposed to do it, like <laughs> there's a rule or something. But that's the way. That's a playful way that we're invited, yeah, into the ongoing nature of it. I think. Yeah, so, yeah, man. Um, so, 25 different short chapters in this book. 25 meditations. 25 reflections. Um, do you remember, like in some of my books, uh, you know, there's a, there's a section that's just impossible. And then there's another section that just goes super easy. What were the, what were the easy ones? Not easy, but like, what were the ones that came more easily? And what were the ones that, and while you're thinking about it, I'll just, for the folks who are listening, I'll even read some of the, um, you know, the chapter headings, the, the meditation headings, but what, what were the ones that came easy? What were the ones that were, that were harder? Yeah. Well, Oh, do you want to read some? Yeah, yeah. Like, so enunciation, light, motherhood, vulnerability, given, which is what we had our conversation with last night and yesterday noon with some of the folks that go to our church. We talked about given and we were going to talk about unease too, but that's just as, as far as we could go. Yeah. Just, just the idea of how do you, how do you, how do you process truth? And is it more conceptual or is it more like embodied? Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was so good. But alpha, breath, omega, virgin, assumption, scene, sacred, room, goop. I mean, all these beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that one. But what? Yeah. What? What were some hard? What was one of them? Well, that was harder. A, and so this is this is a culmination of art and meditations expressed on Instagram over four years. So right. you know, the first year there was like three illustrations. The next year I was like. I'm going to do a few more. And I did like five more. And then the next day there was more until last year I finished with 20 and I was like, and then the author in me was like, Oh, if you do five more, that's like a good book. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's where it came from. So I compiled everything that I had and gave it to my editor. And just for fun facts, there was like 8,000 words. And she came back to me. She's like, I'm going to need you to bump it up to 20. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. And I, uh, so I worked and this, like I signed a contract in April. So right when the pandemic started Whoa! and this book came out in October. So Zondervan was quick. Wow. Yeah, if you're, for those of you listening, it's really atypical to go that fast. Usually it's like you turn in your manuscript or like in a year later, your book comes out. It's yeah. always like a year and a year and a half. So, but they were like, we can rush this. So I spent the first part of the pandemic, not only having just moved uh, from Portland to Austin, uh, like didn't even have a house. It was like, it was in a rental house, sleeping on a floor with my kids out of school, <laughs> all this stuff. But I like wrote every day for like, a, and then we got a house and then we moved into a house, but I wrote, you know, the remaining, like <laughs> the 17,000 other words in, uh, and then turned it in mid-May. 
So, wow. but what I started with was like some, so the easier ones were the ones that I had kind of already done all the hard work years beforehand, but like unease, unease was two sentences. It was, uh, there was a time in Mary's pregnancy where the presence of God felt like morning sickness. Don't mm -hmm. be surprised if the presence of God is found in a similar unease in your life, something like that. That's all that was. Yeah. And now that's like a, over, I think it's like a 1200 word essay. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was about taking every one of these like thoughts, like, and like, Oh, so what's the interesting thing about that is that like, there is an uncomfortability about growing and that is consistent in everything of like training for a marathon, mm -hmm. trying to start a different kind of job, trying to start dating again. And I, and, was, and I even say in there, I was like, look, I've been training as a public speaker for years. And there have been quite a few, like before <laughs> getting up to talk that I felt like throwing up, like, you're just like, yeah. I feel a little vomit in my mouth. Right. Like, it's, yeah. and, and this, and, and, and I say this in there, it's like, it's not a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's a sign that it's actually, you're doing it right. Yeah. So like growing involves unease and, and it's, yeah. And so it's that, so, you know, fleshing that idea and adding humor and making it interesting. And so that, that is, that was the tough work. A lot of times I would like, you know, we could get into the ins and out of writing, but often when I get stuck, I'll write down the initial thoughts on a paper and then I'll go on a walk and I'll just like try to figure it out or, you know, just you, you figure out ways to kind of, like, for those of you who want to write like, and, or thought about like, I'd like to make a book one day. Uh, it's incredibly difficult and it's all your free time for a year and, <laughs> or even longer. And uh, everybody, even the best uh, sit at a computer typewriter and go, oh, is so hard like it's just totally it but you figure out ways to jumpstart it and you do you know it's funny like sometimes people ask like i mean i you know i want to write a book but i have a full-time job i'm a parent i'm like well you know 99.9 percent .9 of the writers out there aren't full-time writers you know like people people that find ways to write books do it because there's something inside them that needs to get out and so we get up at five in the morning and yeah. you know and we just do it and and it is really, really difficult. Elizabeth Gilbert, she says, uh, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic, she goes, what shows are you watching? <laughs> when people are like, I exactly. want to write a book, but I don't have time. She's like, what shows are you watching? Yes. How bad do you want it, man? How yeah, bad she's, you just like, she's like, I don't watch anything when I'm writing. I just, yeah, I think about that. Um, this is a question that's less about the book, but maybe it'll connect. Um, it's a very big question, so feel free to uh, request a different question if you don't want it. But how do you how do you how do you find your your faith evolving lately or recently? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the biggest move that's happened for me in the last few years, um, and I think we start. I think Justin and I started voicing it in our prayer books. Uh, and then I learned as I went through, I'm a, I'm a spiritual director. And as I went through my spir spiritual formation and spiritual direction training, I saw this move, which was, it, it's helpful just to frame it this way. Justin and I at the beginning of prayer say, uh, prayer is not getting God's attention. Prayer is awakening to the voice and work of God that's already happening in your life. Mm -hmm. And I would say 
spirituality, faith is not about getting God's attention. It's about already, it's about awakening, awakening to that God is already involved in your life, which goes against a lot of the, the ways at least I picked up faith was, especially with a family of like missionaries, um, that there is this idea of like, we've got to take this thing to people who don't have it and give it to them. And, and so therefore it's like all of my friends, everyone I meet has this thing that I have to give them. Uh, I would say this is the metaphor I've been using lately uh, is, isn't it interesting that you discovered that you had a telephone in you? Mm-hmm. Like some, some way you're able to talk to God. Did somebody give that to you? Or was it just always in there and you just fi- figured out how to make the phone call or answer the call or how, you know, or the metaphor. And the answer is like, you, it was already given to you. It was already in there. It's already built into your being. So then what is the role of quote unquote evangelism? Is it to go around and try to give people telephones or is it to go and be like, Hey, uh, do you ever, do you answer that? Call? What, what is the conversations you have? Do you answer mm-hmm. that? What is that like? You know, it's to be, it's to be alongside people and call it out of them. It's, it's to, it's, it's to give reverence and honor that God has already placed that in every human being and the loving, caring, I would say Christ-like work is to point to that and call and ask and point to it. You know, like that's what Jesus Jesus is only really mad at those who stand in the way of that phone call. Yeah. Uh, like, but he, he is often just like pointing it out and like even Zacchaeus, you know, when he, he's like, I'm coming to your house and Zacchaeus, I'm giving my money. And, and he's like, Zacchaeus has always been a son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, mm-hmm. he too, you know, he's always like calling, he's already initiating this, like you're already, there's this belovedness that's already there. He's like pointing to that. And I, that has probably been the biggest shift for me of, of how I communicate, how I think about things. And then I would say in like spiritual formation, it's less about, mm, you have this lack. It's, it's more about like, mm, you've, you've quieted a place inside of you. Cause, cause you can, you can, you can oh, yeah. numb it. Like <laughs> the, the metaphor that Justin and I have is like, prayer is a can of tuna. <laughs> like we're, this is actually a diagram in the beginning of our book which we show a can opener and then we show a can that's been opened and inside is like the tuna and we're like prayer which is this ever-present ongoing interior <laughs> conversation with god is the tuna but that gets often covered in the hard casing of ego and fear mm-hmm. and the noise of life and so what prayer, what, like what we say this book is, is like, this isn't a book of prayers. This is a book of can openers. And we're mm. using words and images to help open up those things. That's why I think, you know, when we, uh, when we talk about spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines and stuff, I like, I actually like this, um, John O'Donohue who's passed now, but this great, um, Irish priest and poet writer, philosopher, uh, he, somebody came to him is like, I, I, I can't hear God's voice in my life. I can't hear, you know, I can't. and he just told this woman, he's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up for a week every morning and watch the sunrise. Yeah. 
And she's like, that's it. And he's like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and she did it. And she's like, I started hearing it again. You know, mm. like it, it, it's, you can squelch, cover, numb that, that portal, that telephone, that thing that's already in you. Um, and so I, that's how, that's probably been the biggest shift in my spirituality yeah. is, is the starting point of, and, and really trusting that the thing is already in there yeah. and that, and like, I was even thinking about, um, well, that's a, that's a whole other thing. I was thinking about Jesus where he says, my word will become like this, uh, like this flowing water stream out of you. It's like mm-hmm. this thing, you know, it's like, it's like, is he putting it in there or is it just like, tapping into that well that has that potential, you know, just, yeah. That, you know, no, I, yeah. I'm picking that up. Um, I mean, that is, that is really, I resonate with that deeply. And I think even, you know, the metaphors that Jesus uses in, in his parables, you know, the yeast, the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven is within you. He's saying yeah. it in so many different ways that it's just the tiny invisible thing is the, is what, what explodes out of you, the, the wellspring of life, yeah. Um, but it's there and there's no, you know, maybe you can get covered. Yeah. I like the can opener. I love that, but it's always but, there and, and no, and no one, no one can put it in there and no yeah. one can take it out of there. It's yeah. in there. It's in there. The lost sheep, the lost coin, yeah. the lost yeah. son, they all start with the presupposition that they already have a place. Right. And they, and then, and somehow through our journey of life, they got lost. It got right. misplaced. It got, it right. got, I couldn't find it anymore, which yeah. happens because life, it'll, it's gonna, it messes us up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a big time. you know, that there, 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 that, that is the place that, um, I think, I think too, like, uh, because of the journey of life and I've, you know, I've had some suffering. We've all had various levels of suffering and stuff, but like, I think faith often goes away because it doesn't allow for the complexity. I like how Richard Rohr says the absurdity, you know, like you have to, <laughs> your faith has to keep developing to make sense of um, the terrors, the randomness, the absurdity things that we find in living and like too, too strict or rigid of a view doesn't allow that flexibility for that or that space for that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's, that's probably been the most, uh, the thing that's been changing in me the most. Man, that's beautiful. I love it. Um, well, I, I wish we had two more hours, uh, <laughs> so many more questions, but Scott, thanks so much, man, for carving out some time and for writing this book. As I told you, our community here in Minneapolis is just loving it and, um, and, and really finding it very, very helpful, um, you know, in terms of helping them, to enter into the mystery of waiting and arrival and dark and light and growing and expanding and all those things. And Mm -hmm. so it's a real gift, man. And, um, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be thinking about you as you preach at the vine, um, this Sunday, uh, what a great community. I've been there a couple of times and it's just a, it's a great community and I love Mark. He's one of my favorite peeps. So have, have a blast. And, Scott, thanks so much for being with us, man. It's been fantastic. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. 
You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.